Hey there, we're the Westlop Pirates and welcome to the show. We're here to share our thoughts on Northwestern athletics and college sports with thoughts and analysis from the visceral to the statistical. We run our tailgate with the red pirate flag flying high above because we give no quarter, especially the fourth. I'm Sam Walter. I'm John Lacombe. And I'm Eric Scuzz. Scouse <laughs> Crack them open now. Yep. Um, Smoke them if you got them, folks. Pretty yeah. much. Hey, if 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 I may, if last week was uh was the Nirvana, you know, we were we were doing a little Nirvana lyrics, little 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 smells like Nirvana um, vibe on the podcast last week in reaction to to some of our our coaches' commentary. Does that make this episode like the unplugged episode? Pretty much, I, I think. Yeah, I think. I think there's part of me that wants to unplug right now. I think we're all we're all getting there, but we're soldiering through week after week. In inside baseball, like Sammy just had to unplug and replug in all of his stuff. So you know, yeah, yeah it, it is it is pretty unplugged. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I mean, like the big elephant in the room. Um, you know, the narrative around this Northwestern football team is getting more and more into how much longer does Pat Fitzgerald have as head coach of the Wildcats, which is, which is weird because like, I, I think we're, we've all been in agreement. Like Fitz is not the issue. It's the coordinators. They both need to go like tomorrow. They both needed to go like last week. The issues fits and the coordinators, but yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. The, I, I mean, you're, you're right. And on one hand, I think a lot of you are listening right now. And Sam's saying that you immediately going like, no, no, no. Pat Fitzgerald's not going anywhere. And you look, you're probably, you're probably right. right. Okay. Yep. Yeah. You, you're probably right. Um, but Sam is absolutely right in that. I think for the first time in a long time, even, you know, this, this whole season and a half mess, this game in particular, I mean, we're going to get into the game to an extent, but I think if, and if you're a Northwestern fan and you've talked to any other Northwestern fan, you know, it's just the overall narrative, like Sam says, is quickly gobbling up this game and everything else. And there has been that pivot this season, this, you know, in the wake of this particular game where we've heard people looking and pointing directly at Fitz to a degree that we've not heard in a long time. And I mean, it's almost a situation where like, whatever you think personally about like what should be done with the coordinators, who should be, who should be gone at the end of the season, who should have been gone by now. It's almost like a situation where there's like a small part that's like, regardless of the football piece of it, it almost felt like that two week stretch, you know, including that buy was like a chance to deal with part of that. And when that wasn't dealt with and so many of the same problems reared their head, a lot of people jumped over the coordinators to fits. And that's kind of part of this toxic brew that is swirling right now. Well, and it's it's the it's the commentary you've gotten from Fitz all year, which frankly is no different than what we heard last year. It's no different than what we heard in 2019 vis-a-vis the offense. It's no different than what we heard in like the six years prior to 2019 when people were complaining about the Northwestern offense, like Pat Fitzgerald, for whatever reason does not believe in making staff changes during the year. Um, And he's not going to just like, he's not going to give an inch on naming his quarterback before the first play of the first game. He's not going to give an inch. It seems on uh, anything regarding to the coordinators. And it is still, you know, 
a, hey, we're putting all our heads down and working. We got to come together. We got to figure this out. Um, it is funny because I feel like in in these three seasons that have gone, you know, sideways in 1921 and now 22, um, Fitz has started the year or, or you know, when, 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 when the frustration starts bubbling within the fan base and the media questions get a little more pointed, you can you can see him bristle and he gets defensive and he gets feisty and then when things don't turn around after a couple weeks eventually it turns into where we are today which is you know kind of this like hey we just got to keep keep chipping away at it we got to keep working on it we're not where we're at like it's it's at least a little more honest in my opinion i like i would rather be here than in the you know stats are for losers you guys don't know what you're talking about um kind of phase we were in about three weeks ago but Still, like there were there were a lot of questions from I think some some fans on Twitter, like what why do you why do you make the change now? And this is why you make the change now. This is why you should have fired both coordinators at the break, because then you get a half a season to evaluate potential internal candidates. You get a half a season to focus on the development and 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 the growth of young players. You remove the expectations and the toxicity that you just referred to, John. And Instead of doing that, Pat Fitzgerald has decided once again, um, as I guess is his prerogative, to um, just take be the be the the face of this and take us all on the chin, and we'll see where we land at the end of the year. Yeah, and it's at this point, no one in the Northwestern fan base has any tolerance for any of that. Yeah, and. This game, I mean, again, like we said, I mean, there were certain things you can take out of this game. The larger narrative at this point is is the much bigger picture. But this was a game that we talked in the last pod about, you know, how I was painting this. Hey, like this is the these are the miracles I'm I'm hoping for, right? And wouldn't you know it? Hey, you but were for right. The f- for yeah, the first two 100%. quarters of football, we got the miracle scenario we were looking for. Billy Edwards came out and he didn't have his head screwed on right at the start of the game and they weren't and the identity of Maryland was severely hampered as they tried to get him going and Brendan Sullivan came out and unlocked this giant piece of the offense which I definitely want to circle back to later and well, hold, I think, hold, hold on. It's, it wasn't just the first two quarters. I mean, this game was tied with three minutes to play. That's a position that Northwestern hasn't like, well, been well, in that's, in a while. That's, I mean, well, that's that's true. Um, the third quarter was nothing to write home well, about, right? Yeah, I that, mean, that, and that's yeah, the whole thing yeah. is so many of the classic things reared their head <laughs> in the third quarter. Apologies. Um, that's when I happened to tune in. <laughs> yeah. The, the, well, and, and I think... One thing I wanted to get at is after the game, in the immediate aftermath of the game, I tweeted, and I specifically want to say me because I don't think you guys agreed with this and I kind of course corrected on this. But we, I think if you all have been listening to this pod for a long time, you know, we've been going over a decade and I think our our resume in terms of being very player friendly is strong. And that's not by accident. Like we love the players. We respect what they're doing. We respect everything that they're going about. We've met a lot of them. We've met their families. We just support the players. I do believe that there is a point, right, where it's like in this particular game, there were a lot of player mistakes that really hurt the team and ultimately directly led to 
this loss getting away from us. A extremely winnable game getting away from us in the second half. <clears throat> so there's part of me who's being like, well, I mean, we support the players as much as anybody. I guess at some point there has to be a level of, you know, direct accountability. And of course, the players will be the first ones to say this. And I'm like, well, there were a lot. I mean, a couple position groups had a really rough day in well, terms just, of mistakes. Just, and that really... Just just to lead on that point real quick before you get into some of the specifics, like we talked about this after the Duke game and like personal accountability for the players is something that we admire. It's part of what makes, you know, these guys such excellent um, ambassadors and uh, representatives of, of Northwestern. And it's, it's something that we herald and sing the praises of in seasons when things are going well. Right. So like that, like the fact that, that right. the players take personal, personal accountability, that they feel it is their, their job and their, you know, um, responsibility to not turn the ball over, to not make mistakes, to execute, et cetera, et cetera. Like we applaud that at the same time, like we're not going to eviscerate a, a 20 year old dude for things not going well when his coach is getting paid, you know, seven right. seven figures um well etc right. etc right so c- carry on though like exit no exactly and i think but we saw a lot of individual errors out there i mean they, and yep. they showed up on both sides of the ball i mean we had eight penalties for big yards and a couple of those penalties were drive killing penalties we had the two uh interceptions which again we'll circle back to the the brendan sullivan piece of this because it's obviously important and 17 of Maryland's 31 points were scored on drives where they had at least one third and long uh, conversion. And some of those conversions came off of penalties. So there was a lot of that. But, and this is where we quickly became aware of the overall narrative consuming all else after the game is everybody immediately came back at this with being like, why are you getting on the players? This is on the coaches and everything that they're doing. And as we said on Twitter, no argument here, okay? Well, I just, because we're seeing the same things over and over again. Exa- exactly. That's that, and that was my reaction, kind of in the moment. Was, yeah, uh, we saw, you know, missed assignments on D. We saw bad penalties. We saw poor decisions. We saw um, all like. Any, coming any, out of a bye. Any number of things. Yeah. But yeah, coming off of a bye, which frankly has been a problem previously in the Pat Fitzgerald era. Um, coming off of uh, a, a previous game where a lot of the same stuff happened. I mean, like, like I, it's, it's over and over again. I mean, this has been the story for, for three of the last four years now. And so when it's the same, I mean, and let, let's, let's not even go back to 2019. Let's talk about last year. It's the same players, for the most part, making some of the same mistakes as last year. This is not about the time that Jim O'Neill needed to... Hey, look at that. I got his name right. Look, at, look Hey, there this it is. is. <laughs> this is not about the time that Jim O'Neill needed to get his system in place or to teach guys. This is not about, you know, the, the relationship between the coaches and players and, you know, figuring it out and, and getting on the right page and all that sort of stuff. This is about poor teaching, poor coaching. Development, right. yeah. No, and 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 piggybacking off of that. So a lot of you on Twitter. So we put up something, you know, earlier this week, uh, diagramming. I mean, th- the Jim O'Neill piece of it that doesn't extends all the way back to the very beginning of last season, right? And the system we're running, and how it is so 
it's static and it's light and it's it's emblematic of overall of a of a system that is built for a certain kind of personnel and we are just continuing to run it with pieces that don't fit and it is such a static situation so we we diagrammed because the Hemby 75 yard run the back breaking touchdown run by Maryland in the fourth quarter was just absolutely emblematic of that in the terms of the way Maryland was able to line up across from it and diagram and understand just how static it was and understand, look, we, we've run this play in practice and we've diagrammed it on a whiteboard and they are going to sit there with this extremely light star package. They won't move anyone around and our little, you know, our X's will go right to their O's just like we drew it up on the whiteboard because it's such a static, non-creative package and they don't have the personnel up front to account for, to, to make up for that right now. So we put that up and then we immediately heard from several people who know and understand these things. Yeah, and multiple guys were misaligned on that play. And it's like, so aside from that, Mrs. Lincoln, like, <laughs> yeah, I just, I, I just mean, want, I just want to emphasize like it. And, and I'm, I'm going to reference some of Fitzgerald's comments in the presser this week where he talked about like, the 2020 defense being the best they've ever had. And like, sure. Like, you know, with Greg Newsom, with J.R. Pace, like with the talent you had on the defensive line. And of course the linebacker trio, like that defense was elite. And, and like the, o- the only reason that you play such a static defensive package like that, that John was just talking about is because you think you have the players and the execution to beat the other team straight up. And so you don't need to use motion. You don't need to, to play much risk reward. You don't need to, to try to confuse the quarterback because no matter what happens, your guys are going to overpower their guys and they're going to be in the right place. That's the sort of thing you run when you have an elite 2020 esque defense. Fitz said exactly these words in the, in the press conference yesterday. Like that's not, that's not the defense we have. Then why are you running those plays? Like that's the well, defense and, you have. I just, it's like, am I taking crazy pills? And, and I mean, obviously none of us are able to see the actual playbook or anything, but it sure doesn't look like we're throwing a million looks there out on the field. Right. Yet we're seeing coming out of a bye week guys misaligned on plays and folding that into all of these different things. And on the base going back defense the, that's been in place for yeah. a year and a half, the base. And defense. again, right. And again, it's like for all of you who are like, I'm not hanging that on the players. I get it because it's like, you're right. And count me the, among them. Yeah, yeah, right. And again, especially someone who's like for someone who's like practice is everything. And this is something that brings me to this other piece of it, because on the flip side, right, we had the single most positive development we've had in weeks, which is Brendan Sullivan, right? And we all have eyes. Yes, at the end of the day, his stats were whatever they were. And at the end of the day, he threw two picks. A five-year-old child could tell you that the offense worked a million times better <laughs> with him out there. It just, we all saw it. Like, right, it's just... And my, the thing is, my three-year-old watched some of the game with me, and I, like <laughs> she can't articulate that quite yet. But I think yes, I, I agree with your statement. It's just you could see every time there was a mesh in the backfield, Maryland was respecting both guys who were a part of it. And let, let me let me say again, if <laughs> if your if your 
offensive scheme is predicated on a mesh in the backfield that is going to misdirect the defense, you better like the, like the threat of each guy better be real. Again, what like right. if if it if this offense doesn't work without a mobile QB, and frankly, we saw that last year with some of Hunter's unwillingness to run the ball or discomfort running the ball. Um, if this offense doesn't work, why, in God's name, do you roll out Ryan Holinsky and put him in a in a in a offense in a scheme where he cannot succeed for six weeks and not give Braden Sullivan any opportunity or run or reps or or time to get comfortable until you decide to pull the string. I'm sorry, that was not planned on the whatever drive it was against Wisconsin and just throw him out to the wolves. Like, what are we I, doing? Well, th- right. this goes to this goes to something that I've I've been wondering about for years. It's like great teams, great coaches tailor their systems to the players they have. Yes. Right? Like yeah. That's we, we we haven't seen that from Northwestern in how long? It's you know trying to get the players, trying to get the right players for the system. But if by for whatever reason those players aren't available or get hurt or transfer out or what, you have to be flexible. You have to be willing to change. And well, I you know, I I know this will resonate for you guys because um, the when you say that, Sammy, the first thing I think of is the opening game to 2018 against Western Michigan. Um, and all three of us were at the game. I, I traveled up from Cincinnati and it was just, it, it was phenomenal to be sitting there together watching it. But the thing that we were watching was um, Matt Harris, Northwestern's excellent, excellent defensive back um, covering Corey Davis, the outstanding wide receiver for Western Michigan, which we had talked about for like, Weeks leading up to game, we knew it was going to be a big deal. We knew it was going to pro- be a problem. We were terrified that Northwestern, as they had in every single game for as long as any of the three of us could remember, were going to keep their cornerbacks on the left and right side of the field and n- nary a guy would move around. And that would allow Western Michigan and P.J. Fleck to do whatever they wanted with Corey Davis. And for the first time in living memory, Northwestern didn't do that. They actually adapted their scheme to the skill of their player, Matt Harris followed Corey Davis all over the field, held him to 70 yards. Yes, we lost the game on that, you know, fumble through the end zone toward the end from Thorson, blah, 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 blah. But like that, like that microcosm of game within the game was fascinating to watch. And it's that is the poster child for like, use the talent you have, put them in position to succeed. And can I piggyback off of something that think about that Western Michigan team and what that offense looked like, right? That was a P.J. Fleck team that ran a passing offense through Corey Davis. And what are they now at Minnesota? Ground and pound with Mo, with Mo Ibrahim. Yep. Because he's going with what he's got. And he's, and he's to his credit, he's made a different, a different style than what he's operating at Western Michigan work. And it's funny, like, Scuzz, you've brought this up multiple times, right? But it's like, let me. We've heard, and this was before he was saying it publicly. Like we were hearing from people in the know behind, being like, "Look, Fitz is torn up by losses," and I believe that 110 percent, and it's commendable and and understandable, and and I totally get it. The most famous college coach in terms of hating losing more than he likes winning is Nick Saban. 
<laughs> and Nick Saban, in response to that, has completely retooled the way he does things at Alabama yep. since he got to Alabama. Yep. And in so many ways, the teams he's running today are not remotely similar to the teams that he's running. And one of the things over time, I mean, talking about these these long-term things is this is the the side of, you know, the flip side of that Brendan Sullivan, the two picks, and like Scott was saying, and being like, well, you know, those two picks or whatever the growing pains could have happened earlier on, right? Well, let's rewind. When was the first time you, a listener, thought to yourself, when are we going to see Venrick Mark, a new offensive coordinator, <laughs> Evan Hall, Cam Porter, Xander Mueller, Brendan Sullivan, any kicker? And then how long did you have to wait for that thing to happen after you thought about that? Fitz, who was, Fitz was on one in press conference quotes this week. Uh, one of his many gems was, I am a lightning bolt of consistency. <laughs> and uh, I, the, I mean, Titanic of consistency, right? Like, it's like we see the iceberg, and then like thirty minutes later, we're like, "What do you think? Should we turn? Should we start speed. turning that wheel?" <laughs> yeah, it's. I mean, it's just there's that feeling of that glacial pace, that glacial change. It you know, it's personnel, it's like scheme, and then it, it runs up against these problems where everyone's like, "No, the house is burning down right now. Are we going to throw water on it, or are we not?" And this is. This is, again, this is why Northwestern Nation is looking square in the eye at Fitz right now. There's there's one other comment in the press conference that um, – well, there, there's, there's another element to the press conference today that I wanted to, to, to harp on because I think, like, I, a lot of people were, were, were reacting to the comments about Jim O'Neill and the defense. And, yeah, we're not where we want to be, but, like, I see a lot of improvement from year one to year two and – you know, don't look at my coordinators, look at me. I'm the guy in charge, yada, 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 right? And so a lot of people were... How, how many times has he, has he said that? How many years has he said, yeah, look that's, at me? That's his thing, right? And and I think, you know, Fitz has more cachet than probably any other coach, save Nick Saban, um, in college football because of who he is and what he's done for Northwestern. And, like, there's a, there's a laundry list of pros that we can talk about with Fitz um, that are all still relevant and true today scheme and 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 in-game management and um and like change are not are not amongst his <laughs> pro qualities um but I, I can i can think of another coach that you could put in that uh in that mix yeah well and again well hold, the, hold, hold, let me let me go let me go back to where i was yeah. trying to go with it yeah, which, yeah, is, yeah. which is that you know he he talked about you know we learned as as you know elementary school kids that when you're playing football like it, it's it, it's got to come down to execution you got to be better than the other team like you got to win your one on mat, one matchups and like six plays a game six plays a game are what determine the game and if you win those six plays you win the game and that is like the corner i mean that that right there in a sentence is the cornerstone of fitz's football philosophy in shortening the game reducing the number of possessions reducing the number of plays trying to even the playing field so that Northwestern can out-execute its opponent and win. That has been the strategy for 15 years. Um, it has won us a lot of games. But yeah, 
the game has evolved and it is no longer 2007. It is no longer 2015. Um, and, and John, you, you mentioned Nick Saban. Sam, you mentioned Nick Saban. That is the poster child. That is exactly how Nick Saban used to coach as well, right? Like my offense will do just enough, just enough. I will reduce the game to the minimal amount of possessions and plays and my defense will suffocate you. And then there was an offensive revolution in college football and that approach does not work if you want to win championships. And I think the the thing that probably concerned me most about the press conference, whatever, whatever Fitz is saying about Jim O'Neill is, in my opinion, like lip service, whatever, like I'm, I'm not concerned about the veracity of that until yeah, we get to the just... end of the year. He's stepping in front of the train for his yeah. coordinators. Any and, coach would do that. Yep. Yeah. And if and if he and if at the end of the year it's the same conversation, well then then I'm then I'm going to be really upset and disappointed. Yeah, with, we'll, with, we'll have another conversation yeah. then. But um, it was this it was this embracement of the way things have always been done in his house. And yes, he has won a lot of games, and he's earned some degree of. Um, you know, he, uh, of, of, he of specifically, he, he said the specific phrase, this is the only way I know how to yeah. do it, bud. Yeah. And, and like, dude, like college, like, like in football, you have to change and adapt. You have like a microcosm of this. You have to make adjustments at halftime. Yeah. You have to make adjustments year to year. You, you cannot just do the same thing all the time. And, and Nick Saban in Alabama is the, is the perfect analogy for, for, or the perfect example uh, of that changing. And if you're not, if you haven't been paying attention to Alabama and you've been living in a cave, this, you know, absolute defensive focused team has turned into an offensive juggernaut. Um, and and yeah. be- before people like jump on us saying, Oh, well it's Alabama. They're just replacing it's, five stars with five stars. No, the it's, point is it's the philosophy changing their system, right? Yes, the point and, is the philosophy. And, and, and the other thing too, I mean, as long as we're talking about like, replacing players and and that piece of it and this is something that we talked that you know we talked about on twitter talking about the formations and the things we're running and the problems we're seeing and it's like just so everyone understands like pretty much every defensive lineman we have on the roster has played we saw andrew firestone this week that's a true freshman yeah okay these are we're playing everybody at that position. So if you're waiting for like a bunch of guys to just ride in on a chariot, well, yes, we've got true freshman defensive ends coming in. But those are true freshman defensive end size defensive ends. There are no 300-pound horses riding in to suddenly plug in a Tyler Lancaster or a Dean Lowry on this defensive line, okay? Like, so aside from how mad we all are and Northwestern Nation is, if you're looking to some sort of solution in terms of like we don't go three and nine or worse next year on the strength of a defense that is as bad as this defense currently is, this fix has to come in scheme or some creativity or some sort of change or something. And that's not to just lay into the personnel. It's just to say like, by and large, it's going to be the same group next year. Um with well, with, certain with, key pieces with the transfer leaving. portal, I mean, the, the transfer portal right. can change a lot of things. And so, well, you know, and that's the thing. But I mean, it's the same. Sure, but I mean, with the exception of Peyton Ramsey, and I mean, this is not to throw shade at a guy like Jeremiah Lewis, who came in and has you know been a valuable piece, one of the things holding this thing together, right? Um, 
Northwestern has not been smacking home runs in the transfer portal, okay? And uh, it's it's just like one more piece and one more piece where you can look like... Just to, just to jump in, like, and, and I want to address something else that we've heard a lot from from folks over the last 18 months. Like, oh, they just need better players. Or, oh, they Northwestern has a quarterback problem. They got to solve their quarterback problem. Like, I mean, Brent, Brandon Sullivan notwithstanding, like, do you think maybe the quarterback problem or, or like, big-time wide receiver problem has something to do with, like, the antiquated approach to offense that, that we've been running at Northwestern for – for uh, fifteen just, years, like, like, like and, when you think when you talk about the transfer portal and getting guys to come in, like, right? It's it, it ain't just about nil, folks. It it ain't just about wins and losses. It's about you know development for the pros. Like, th- like, there's a lot of things that Northwestern has to offer and a track record that they can point to. But when you're when you're piling up losses and and the and the only emphasis is oh guys got to execute better guys got to execute better like where where's the hope and the creativity when you're when you're selling to a dude of like yeah i'm going to help you get to the next level i'm going to help unlock you to to do some things for our defense to get some notoriety if that that's not happening players aren't dumb right like right and and so to dovetail perfectly with that and probably also a little bit in the interest of, I think, the transition that I think we're going to be wanting to make. Um, th- we were talking earlier this week with the Washed Up Walk-Ons podcast, which is the main Iowa football podcast, um, and just kind of trading information. We had some questions for them. And and um, and one of the big things, and I think this is one of the things that the, the whole nation is wondering is, and Scuzz has been wondering it since early in the summer. When Scuzz was <laughs> like looking and being like, being like, what is with the weights of these guys and like what's going on? Where, so we were like, where, we where were the like, hog mollies at? Yeah, we're like, what is the deal with this offensive line? And one of the things they pointed to is that like they've the portal has been just a, a disaster for them, and that they had several other issues that they kind of referred to as kind of like this perfect storm of like bad factors relative to the O line. But one Ferenc. of the things. Yeah, right. But one of the things was that they have they just haven't had the ability to come in and and I think it goes to some of the things that Scuzz is talking about. It in that sense, I think we in that sense, not in other senses, but in that sense, I think we're suffering from this static problem that's hurting us in the portal and hurting us in other places the same way it's hurting Iowa's offense. Uh before let want to transition to this weekend's game. Any last tidbits from the from the Maryland game itself? I mean, Evan Hull had a, had a pretty decent yeah, game. I, I mean, I, I I think a little pirate booty would be it would be in order. Yeah, sure, I think so. Go ahead. I mean, I'll I'll, I'll lead it off. Evan Hull had a yeah. really good game. Yeah. Like you know, he he balled out in a way he hadn't in a few weeks. And like all in all, I thought our offense played pretty good. Hey, you know? hey, hey, guess what? When there's another threat on the field beside Evan Hull that the defense has to account for, he can do some stuff like he did those yeah. first two games of the year, right? Like, I feel like he's well, been bottled up for five weeks. And this is the thing, too, where it's like, this is a theme that we've talked about for a while. And I know this is the pirate booty part. So I'm like, I'm like no, <laughs> I, this is, I know this is the good part, but it's like your – the kind of performance you saw Evan Hall have today, and, and this is not to say Evan Hall's been bad this year because Evan Hall's been one of the bright spots, absolutely. But you saw this offense work in a way that you're like, Maryland's not a particularly great defense, and we have a lot of not particularly great defenses in the mirror, in the rearview mirror. 
that a offense like the kind we saw against Maryland would have unlocked some more points in. So I'll dovetail off that and kind of the other piece of it is talking about Brendan Sullivan, right? Where, again, he just looked heady and he knew when to run. Yes, those those two throws were ill-advised passes for sure. And yes, they both killed drives where we were moving the ball. But aside from those, he was, you know, he made good decisions. He was smart. He knew when to run. He had 53 rush yards, and I think those just about all those were scramble yards. That was him understanding at least one was on a third down for a big first down. He knew when to take off. He knew when to run. He wasn't panicky or skittish out there. He was using the pocket to his advantage, getting outside of it, working for yards. So, yeah, that's if that's a tandem we've got for at least the rest of the season and hopefully next season, like that's something to be happy about. Hey, let, let a touchdown drive to tie the game at 24. Um you know, f- flushing that bad pick, uh, coming back onto the field with poise and confidence um, beyond his years like that. Like, that's good stuff. And 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 credit, you know, some credit to Bajakian, like the the system was was set up in a way with with Sullivan that 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 worked. Um, I think like Malik Washington talked about in the press conference today about um, the the difference between, you know, Sullivan and, and Holinsky and with Sullivan, like, like in terms of preparation for the rest of the team, right. And like with Sullivan needing to run your route, but also be aware if things are breaking down, he's starting to scramble. And then you as a receiver need to need to also scramble either to give him an outlet to throw. If he, if he decides to do so before he gets to the line of scrimmage or um, potentially to find, to find blocking opportunities to, uh, to, to keep him on his feet. So um so you know, credit credit to them and like being prepared in in that sense and in that way. And and yes, the offense looked a lot more competent. Now, granted, we know this is one of the poorer defenses that that will play this season. But I still thought you know, same you mentioned Hall, John, you mentioned Sullivan, Malik Washington. I think continues to be a playmaker for Northwestern. Um, I, the other one I want to call out is Rod Hurd, who had I think his career high in tackles. Um, uh, got. Uh, credited with half a sack, half a TFL, um, had a, uh, a a pretty darn good day, even though the defense was um, was maligned. And I think to his credit in, in the press conference talked about how he he doesn't really care how good his day is if the team doesn't win. So, um, but pirate, pirate booty still warranted. And and in, in Rod's case, right, I mean, I think he had, you know, uh, one play and pass, I think, you know, pass penalty that kind of went against him. And, and I, he's a guy where we've been like, Against the pass, he's been like it, over it, like in the past season, snake bit to you know an extent in terms of just like bad luck and things going against him. He has put, not not always put there the are best position there, yeah there are few players who've been more essential to the run defense this season. Um, that I mean, especially once Coco went down, the ability of Rod Hurd and Jeremiah Lewis to come up and make hits at the line of scrimmage has bailed us out a bunch of times. So absolutely. Um, I also, the other one I want to throw in, and this is not um, an individual player. This is a group and that's the whole offensive line. Um, This is something. So obviously when it comes to running the ball, these guys have had um, a rough year. I think we all saw when Brendan Sullivan came in, um, it kind of unlocked some things and combined with Maryland not being one of the better defenses on our conference schedule, things kind of clicked. But the real reason I'm bringing them up is, first of all, 
Josh Preeb, season-ending injury, horrible. Um, and this is, you know, Josh Preeb has been a guy who we've, you know, we love him. We've loved him at right guard forever. Um, the Or left guard, I should say. Um, I was just going to say, yeah. I think you mean yeah, left. Yeah, left guard um, and has been an impact player um, and has gotten way better at pass pro. And this is a line that's been solid at pass pro all year, even as like run game has come and gone. But when Josh Preeb went down, the line had to seriously shuffle. Vince Picozzi moved from right guard to left guard. Ethan Wiedeker moved from right tackle to right guard. And Caleb Tierlin came in to play at right tackle. So that's a massive restructuring of the line that happened early in the game and had to carry through the whole rest of the game. And those guys got their job done. I don't think, I don't think there was an offensive line penalty. I, I'm off the top of my head. Um, and they blocked well. They opened a lot of holes for Evan Hall all game. So kudos to those guys. If you or a loved one is seriously injured by someone else's negligence, hire Kent Sinson of the Sinson Law Group. After over a decade prosecuting murder cases in Chicago, Sinson opened his own firm focused on wrongful death and personal injury cases. He specializes in car, truck, motorcycle, boat, and other transportation accidents, as well as construction accidents, medical negligence, slip and falls, product liability, and more. Millions recovered for clients. No fee unless he wins. The Sinson Law Group. Compassion, empathy, and vigorous advocacy. Go to SinsonLawGroup.com or call 312-332-2107 for a free consultation. And go Cats. So let's turn our attention to this weekend's game. Um, yeah, Earlier I mentioned another coach that uh, is very, very set in his ways and doesn't like to change anything. I, and that would be uh, I, one Kirk would, Ferentz in the Iowa So allow, allow, allow me to yes. interject. Because please. please. While, while yes, you can, you can lump Kirk Ferentz and Pat Fitzgerald into the uh, stubborn, stodgy coach category I together. Am, I however, am seconding everything Scuts is about to say. However, we have we've expressed a lot of disappointment with with Fitz on this pod today. You know, the past few weeks, we've pointed to his press conference today. That disappointment is in the context of football, right? Kirk Ferentz. We, if you if you go go find the press conference he gave today where he, Kirk he Ferentz basically took he, a he took a dump on a, on another he reporter said like things today Pat Fitzgerald like, would never say ever, ever ever this is like disappointment in the context of being a decent effing human right. being absolutely and and like that extends to his a hole son who has said a lot of horrible things yeah. as well it's. They've they have a whole other set of problems over there. So yeah, I'm I I am glad you drew that distinction because otherwise I was definitely going to step in and do it. And it's important to have that. But aside from that piece of it, yeah, uh, Iowa is dealing with some of the same kind of stubborn things. And again, that's led to them that again I can't stress enough how early Scuzz was on this and how Scuzz was coming in being like. Guys, their offensive line is going to be a nightmare, <laughs> and they're giving up like 20, 20 yeah, pounds and, at each tackle relative to years and past. To say that has been true, there is every other of the what one hundred and twenty nine uh, offenses in the country, and then there's Iowa. There's something like 15, 16 yards a game worse than everybody else. It is a non-working offense. They can't do anything moving the ball. And, of course, 
this is where the whole part comes in of of yet there currently what 10 or 11 i think it's as high as 11 point 11 11 11 point favorites this is a team that has scored more than 11 points in less than half of their games this season um and they are 11 point favorites to us but with that said the the flip side of this is their defense it is there's not a defense we've seen this season close to as good as this defense. To give you an idea of how good Iowa's defense is, Iowa's defense is chained to one of the worst offenses you will ever see. And we've had long discussions about how bad it is for a defense when an offense is this bad versus the reverse scenario. So they're chained to this horrific offense that is punting all the time and very often their opponents are starting on the Iowa side of the field. And Iowa gave up 54 points to Ohio State last week. And after all of that, they're still eighth in the country in scoring defense and sixth in total defense. They are better than sixth. They're probably one of the top three defenses in the entire country. This group's absolutely stacked. It's like Jack Campbell, Lucas Van Ness, um, God, who else? Kayvon Merriweather. They are loaded with NFL guys. It is like Penn State had a lot of talent. Wisconsin has a pedigree that to some extent they're not living up to. Iowa's unbelievable right now. They are ungodly good at defense. And for any piece of like improvement that we made, on offense last week in terms of unlocking things. Now that goes up against this absolute juggernaut of a defense. So when you fold all of these things together, this is why I don't know what the over under is right now, but every you know, everyone's been talking about it. It 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 actually creeped it's creeped up to thirty nine. Yeah. It opened at like thirty one. Which and would a have half. been the lowest and at ever. Uh and and yeah. it's creeped up. But again, I it, it remains to be seen, and as much as it pains me to say this, and I don't think I'm alone, I think a lot of people are thinking that Iowa finds a way, some way, on the ground to move the ball against us, and we just don't score any points, and that's where things end up. So, I don't know. It's it's certainly no fun. I mean... Here's the thing, like here's here's Iowa's rush numbers throughout it's the so, year. It's so Dakota, bad. Like leading rusher against South Dakota State, seventy-two yards. Against Iowa State, thirty-four yards. Against Nevada, one hundred and three yards. Rutgers, sixty-four yards. Michigan, thirty-four yards. Illinois, thirty-two yards. Ohio State, thirty-one yards. Leading rusher. That's that's rough, folks. And then on top of it, Spencer Petrus has been just brutality uh, distilled as the quarterback. I want to like just going back to you know I I, I called Brian Ferentz an a hole a minute ago and I want to back that up, um, because Alex Padilla, the backup quarterback, got a bit of run last year. There was a bit of back and forth, and eventually Petrus was you know went out as a QB. And like this year, um, Padilla hasn't even gotten a sniff at the field. I think he's had maybe he's attempted five passes or ten passes. It hasn't, right. brought it it hasn't gone week. well yes, in his extremely you know limited yeah. service. Yeah. Well, so a couple weeks ago in their on their bye week, um Ference 
the younger variety, was asked about bringing in Padilla, a, a faster quarterback, or a more mobile quarterback, um, to help deal with some of the O-line issues and the, the lack of pass protection. And, and, and Ferentz basically, like, basically said, like, I don't think that's a thing that is that is. I don't worry about that. I'm not. I I don't think there's a benefit of of more mobility when you can't do X, Y, or Z. We think Petrus gives us the best chance to win, so we're going to go with him. Blah blah blah, right? Like real coach speak answer and yada yada yada. And then there was a follow up question a few questions later where somebody said, you know, what's the downside of bringing in Padilla? And Ferentz's answer was, what's the upside? <laughs> it was it was incredible. <laughs> so that. That's the offensive brain trust that like, like I, I, I share this in part, like folks, this is much like last week, you know, it was John pleading with you all to like give hope a chance and like, let's just root for a win and hope that good things can come to pass. Like here's some raw meat. You should be pissed off about the state and, and the attitude and the perspective of this Iowa coaching staff. Um, the way that like, just the way they speak about things and um, not just be, you know, hoping for a win for our sakes, but to like stick it to these jackasses um, who, who, by the way, might be screwing their own chances I, by what's by really stupid decision making. Like what's the one I just so outlined. crazy, right, is the whole story of Iowa being defensive turnover, saving a non-working offense was the storyline for the first four games of last season. And fast forward to this past Saturday, their defense provided seven points. Their offense provided negative four points. One field goal and a pick six from Spencer Petras. It's, I mean, but again, it is, it's, it's, they are, and it's like for for everyone who's being like, look, our offense made strides. Our offense showed a lot of things. It absolutely did. The only defense that we've played that is in remotely the same league as Iowa is Wisconsin. And I think right now they're 33rd in total defense. Uh, Penn State is like 50 or something or 60 something. Maryland's 72nd. Yeah. Uh, Iowa's 6th. And yeah, so he, I mean, I, I, it's, it is a, it is a uphill climb this weekend. This is, this is the one, this is the one week, the rest of the season, well, really all, the entire season that I will say the following, um, and that much, much like the Nebraska game where we know that the Northwestern coaching staff really wanted to, st- wanted to stick it to Nebraska and just brought all the heat they possibly could going into that game that I, this matchup is cut from a similar cloth. And that's not just because of like the Pat Fitzgerald says he hates Iowa thing in the past. Um, it's, it's more because we've seen it. Like we saw, we saw an awful Northwestern team in 2021 give Iowa all they could handle last year. We've seen Northwestern beat Iowa in absurd circumstances um, in, in many prior seasons, it was, especially in 2020. I, yeah. And, and, and we've we've seen Iowa beat Northwestern in similar well, I, I was gonna, circumstances. Yeah. To capture so, what you were just saying, though, on Twitter, we were talking about the big 2020 Iowa win, and someone in the Twitter content in the uh, in the Twitter content was like, "Yeah, Skaronic's awesome catch in that game," and then someone else was like, "No, that was from a different big nope. win at Kinnick," and I was like, <laughs> "Yep, that's right." 
So like I, th- this is not a, you know, Northwestern in even years kind of take here. This is just like, like we've seen evidence that Northwestern brings, you know, all the heat and all the attention and focus that they possibly can when they play Iowa. And given the, the difficulties in Iowa's offense, I mean, I'm just going to throw this out here. So I've already told, I've already told you about the rushing stats. Spencer Petras compared to last, the last two years, because his stats in 2020 and 2021 were virtually identical. His completion percentage has dropped four points down to 53%. His average yards per attempt have dropped almost an entire yard down to 5.7. He has two TDs and five picks, an upside-down ratio far worse than than what he did in either the, the two prior years, which at worst in 21 was basically even. I mean, it's it's bad. Like, Iowa's, Iowa's offense is really broken. And if you think if you think Fitz is like egotistical and defensive and stubborn in press conferences, like just go watch some Iowa video. Um, and so like like and again, like I'm not trying to paint some Pollyannish like opportunity here. The reality is, is that this is a nightmare matchup for our offense, a potentially like pillow fight matchup for our defense, um, but one that they could at least, you know, look plausible and and reasonable in and there's a lot of good reason to to get fired up for this game and see what see what the team can do no promises they might break your heart again i mean iowa's offense is in terms of yards per game i dead so last here's, in the country. here's a point of reference so i was 131st last in the nation in offense we've played the 121st ranked offense miami of ohio and I know a lot of you are being like, oh, good God, because like then like Miami of Ohio was having a ton of success running the ball against us. First of all, you're right. And that is a totally legitimate thing. And this is the stoppable force versus the movable object. And we're going to see what happens in this game. But here's how bad Iowa is. <laughs> Miami of Ohio is 121st. Iowa is 131st. Miami of Ohio has gained about 800 more yards this season than Iowa has. That's how bad Iowa is on offense. That's all. That's almost yeah. 100 and yards per game. The, uh, my, my, Miami's averaging 303 yards per game. Iowa's averaging right. 227. So, yep. and the reason for that, and this goes to everything Scuzz was saying, is whatever Iowa comes out with in this game. If it ain't working, they won't change. They'll just keep doing the same thing. That's why they're so bad. And so there's your glimmer of hope. And again, we it was a 17-12 hide your children last year. And, you know, that's probably something like that this year. To your to your, you know, commentary about the the Jim O'Neill star, you know, base star package and how just undersized Northwestern is in that, in that package, you know, a matchup against Iowa's really undersized offensive line seems like, you know, uh, tailor made for for the cards. So like, I do um, think too, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, like when Northwestern plays teams that go heavier, it's not like Northwestern's not averse to putting in Grace and Metz and going to the heavier package, which as we've said for weeks is by far the best option. And if 
Iowa is the kind of team that makes it pretty easy for you to do that. So I would expect you're going to see a lot of Grayson Metz as the third linebacker, which, as we all know, puts Rod Hurd back at safety, the much more proper and natural fit for him, where he and Jeremiah Lewis can come up and fill holes and hit. So there's that piece of it, too. And again, it's like it's a situation where it's like it's really hard to map out how we're going to get points in this game if things work the way we're praying they do it's really hard to map out how iowa gets points in this game maybe it's a rock fight both teams score under 10 and we come away with a win so you know why not maybe we'll maybe we'll get a punt return (laughs) right yeah i mean we haven't returned a single punt all year but you know like we we can dream um, let, let's just quickly move on, uh, run through kind of the rest of the, the schedule in the Big Ten. Um, or do we want to talk about this insane scenario that Northwestern could theoretically <laughs> win the Big Ten no. West? No, no, What is it? It's Sicko. What is it? Sicko's committee? Yeah. Yeah, something come like up that. With put to, yeah, put together a, a scenario where I, I think it's like a over one in a million chance of it happening, but like Northwestern could win the big 10 West at four and eight with a seven way tie in the West. I I think the real intent is much. There was a, there was a similar uh, view last year around this time that the ACC could, could end in a seven way tie. And the idea is that the big 10 West could end in a seven way tie where everyone ends up with the identical big 10 record. Um, and I think you've got what f- f- four teams that are or five teams that are three and three and two teams. That I mean, are I four think two, in, in um, yeah in 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 the in the division, right? Um, but so it's not it's not it's not as much about Northwestern. It just happens to be that like what you would need for everyone in the West to end up with an identical four and five record, like the 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 dynamics of that result in Northwestern ending up at four and two and winning the division, which is preposterous, but you know technically it's, plausible. it's one of those things that in reality has zero percent chance of happening but in spirit every big 10 west fan understands it in the spirit oh. of the conference seems like something that could happen yeah um, well i there's one there's one fan base that like is looking at that with you know horror in their eyes because like they really should yeah. be the odds on favorite well, to I mean, win the West, and yeah. they're the they're the team I think well, that blows up that scenario and, and, this weekend when well, and that's Nebraska, the thing is, but, is we were looking at it's it, that scenario requires both the Nebraska and Northwestern run defenses to shut down Chase Brown, which does not seem like something uh, in, in the cards. Yeah, the, the the most the, the most unlikely element yeah. of yeah. this uh, scenario. Anyway, it was, it was fun to just sort of imagine and look through but uh one, one you know. million percent it would be the most big 10 west thing ever yes um so kind of going running around the conference uh this week you got ohio state penn state in the happy valley uh, ohio state a 15 and a half point road favorite so i feel like that is a result of penn state preying on a tanner morganless minnesota and it's miscalibrating. Yep. And again, like we talked about this with Minnesota. Minnesota doesn't work with Tanner Morgan not in there. And again, like he's, I think we think it was a concussion. I'm not exactly sure, but they didn't have him last week. And 
without that, it just Minnesota didn't go and Penn State was able to feast on them. And as we've said, Minnesota's defense is a little bit of a paper tiger because it's predicated on their ball control offense. So all of those things. But we all saw the Michigan-Penn State game and how Penn State really had no business being in that game, even at halftime. I think Ohio State. I know it's at Penn State, but I think Ohio State's game for this one. I'm I'm laughing because over the weekend, um, you guys were texting and talking about how much like the Fox announcers were trying to sell <laughs> Iowa were. during the Iowa Ohio State yeah. game. And and even now, I'm looking at ESPN. The headline on ESPN is number two Buckeyes catch fire late, pound bumbling Iowa fifty four ten. Guys, they were up two scores at half. They scored a th- another touchdown to go up thirty three to ten. Like midway through the third quarter, At that is no not point late. Did Iowa have even a glimpse of a win in that game? That game was yeah, yeah. yeah that's that's not <laughs> yeah, catching no. fire late, folks. That's yeah. like that's like crock potting right. in the in the parlance of the uh, uh, of the solid verbal f- uh, fan base. But um, but yeah, no, I totally agree with you, John. Like Ohio State is head and shoulders above Penn State, just in the way Michigan was. They are going to cook them. Uh, the weather, you know, I mean, let's, unless there's some weird weather, like, like Penn state will play their hearts out in the first half of, the, of this game. It'll probably be just like Iowa last week. Like their defense is going to do good stuff. It'll probably be close at halftime. And I just, they do not have the ponies to go the distance. Uh, current weather report, uh, AccuWeather forecast showing, uh, 49 degrees and cloudy. So, uh, no real precipitation at this point. You know, yes, we're recording this on Tuesday night. There's plenty of time. Uh, before Saturday for that to change, but uh, pray for rain. Yeah, uh, you got Rutgers at Minnesota. Minnesota, a fourteen-point favorite. Oh, the over/under is forty-one. It is that's pretty low. Is uh, um, is, no, Mor- so that's, is Morgan? I don't know. That's a thing that's I, up I have in no the idea. Air. I think back. Rutgers is sneakily on defense. They've been okay this year, considering everything else. But they've. I think it's they haven't played a team like Minnesota. But again, it's all predicated on Morgan. I mean, I think Minnesota is a higher class of team, so I think they get Rutgers either way. But if Morgan's back, Minnesota probably steamrolls Rutgers. Rutgers beat Indiana last week. Yeah. Um, held Indiana to very little rushing. Yeah, Indiana's, Indiana's rushed really well this so. year at all. Um, they lost to Nebraska. They held Nebraska. So, I mean, I don't know, like... Like a like a Morganless Minnesota may may struggle to run, may struggle to run over Rutgers, and and without doing that to the point you just made, John, with their defense and how much it requires that that offensive time and possession, like I get I give Rutgers a fighting chance here. Again, if if Morgan's not playing, uh, you mentioned it earlier, Scuzz, um, Illinois at Nebraska, Illinois only a seven and a half point favorite. Uh, over under is fifty and a half. I mean, I still don't believe Nebraska's trash, but like Illinois, no, I, I'm, sh- Illinois should be able to. The Illinois got to be looking. Beat them. I'm not saying they're trash. I'm just saying like Brown is going to run all over them. Illinois got to be looking at that line and being like, how much are we being disrespected right now? I mean, this is the number one defense in the country, and I know Nebraska's like got got a good offense, but. Illinois is, I think, ready for what they're going to dish out. And so, so, so the only the only thing I'm going to say is Illinois' number one defense has played to date 
Wyoming, Indiana, Virginia, Chattanooga, Wisconsin, Iowa, and Minnesota without Tanner Morgan. That's seven <laughs> that's, crappy offenses. That's a, it's a pretty, that's a pretty good point when you line them all up like that. Like, Jesus. Oh, boy. Uh, yeah. But. <laughs> that, hey, if that makes us feel, feel just, a, just a wee little bit better about Ryan Walters and that Illinois defense, yeah. like, like soak, soak that up, folks. The other part of it is we didn't specifically talk about this earlier, but. Uh, Nebraska and Northwestern are by far the worst run defenses in the Big Ten. And they are in that's, this that's fur- the biggest problem. This furious race to the bottom. So we are we have we've given up twenty yards less than them on the season total. Both are by far the worst run defenses, and both each have to play three of the four best running offenses in the Big Ten this season. Both still have to play Illinois and Minnesota. Nebraska plays Michigan. We play Ohio State. So my guess is Nebraska's going to extend their lead in this game, but then we will probably reel them back in. The really interesting thing is that um, so like I, I th- like Illinois, is, their defense is definitely good stopping the run. They have not had to face a decent passing offense. Um I don't know that I can claim Nebraska has a decent passing offense per se, but Thompson has been, I mean, with the exception of of the Oklahoma game where he only threw for 129 and North Dakota where he only threw for 193, like he's, he's, his he's put numbers up yards. Are, his numbers are yeah. awesome on Trey, the season. Trey, Trey Palmer had 237 against Purdue two weeks ago. So, like, like this will be a very interesting test for Illinois' defense if they can – If I mean, if they can stop that passing game as well, then – then yeah, I think they are what we thought they were coming in. But um I don't know, there's there's a there's a chance here, especially on the road. Tough place tough place to play. I don't know. I mean Illinois, this is again, they're playing for a West title and a spot in the Big yeah. Ten championship game, and this is where they start trying to wrap it up. And then yep. uh under the Hey, 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 remember when we thought Michigan State Michigan was gonna be a great <laughs> game? Yeah, under the Ooh, lights of the yeah. big house, Michigan State Michigan. Uh, uh, Michigan is a 22 point favorite. The over under is 54 and a half. Whew. Feeling real good about a lot of my preseason uh, picks, but um, I mean, I mean, real man, talk. The, yeah, the the benefit of the doubt to Michigan State's coaching staff on just like reloading with with more uh, portal talent was um, a little was, hasty. Was ill ill conceived. Well, the benefit of the doubt to Michigan State is why this line is only 22 points. <laughs> <laughs> that is rival that's rivalry stuff right there, right? That is like the oh, we had trouble with the snap and the ball is free. It's everything Michigan State has had, you know, had Mich- had Harbaugh's number for so long. They but, they did beat Wisconsin 2 weeks ago, but yeah, I, yeah I, Michigan's in a whole other orbit. Yeah. This yeah. That's going to be a slaughter. Any other uh, kind of big national games you guys are looking at? Um, you know, got a weekend in front of the couch. Oh, let's see. Let's see. Notre Dame Syracuse. That could be fun. Well, yeah, that is a big game for them. I mean, Syracuse, they, they, that Clemson loss stinks yeah. for them. Penalties got them. And they had it, and they let and they're it get back, away. And they Clemson's a backup quarterback. Yeah. Yep. They, um, yep. they let them get back on. I wonder, you know, part of me is like a little trappy trap for TCU. They're riding high at West Virginia. I mean, they probably plow them, but it feels like the kind of random stumbling block that could yeah, come up for them. That, that's a very big 12. Uh, oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. 
point of view there. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like uh, uh, Kentucky, Tennessee. I, mean, I think that's probably the marquee game of the weekend, right? Is it? Not Georgia, Florida. Yeah. Oh, was Georgia, is. Florida this weekend? I don't. I mean, I, Florida's I Florida's not that great, party. but uh, yeah. I mean, Kentucky, Tennessee, so, or um, a, Kansas State. If Florida, Oklahoma Georgia, State. and it's. It, Georgia is a 22 and a half point favorite over Florida, which like, again, I think is similar to the Michigan, Michigan state is about the uniforms. Um, I like Kentucky, Tennessee looks like a much better game to me. Oak state case. Sure. One, one that I, uh, was looking at was Cincinnati UCF because UCF is about to, these these are good teams that are playing. Since UCF kind of blew it last week, but overall these are the good teams that are playing for the top of the AAC. Um, these the, two teams do not like each other. I've been to the UCF game here in Cincy the last two times it was here, and um, it's always like these two teams dislike one another because like they have they have battled each other directly for the American title for what six years running now. Yeah, um, this is always a bit of a rock fight. Part of the reason I bring it up is because I was looking at this earlier and UCF has a really strong chance to win like minimum nine games this this year um, possibly more and it occurred to me Isaiah Bowser is going to finish his college career having won a ludicrous amount of games because he was a part of the 2018 team the 2020 team and then both of the last two seasons of UCF where they've been piling up wins. So it's like Isaiah Bowser is going to have quite the storied five years of college football. He's 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 won a bunch of games. Uh, w- one thing I want to keep my eye on is the implosion of Jimbo Fisher as Ole Miss goes to A&M. That could just be Yeah, I was, look- I was looking at something about his buyout that his buyout is like absolutely it's ridiculous. ridiculous. It's like seventy five million or something. Uh, you add add him to this list of coaches, kind of unwilling to to change and and evolve offensively. Yeah. Uh, well, um, anything else to mention before we get out of here tonight? It's a chance at a win. <laughs> hey. Yeah, it's it's a really solid chance. I mean. As sad as it is to say, I mean, one of these two fan bases is, is pulling a win out of this. I mean, these are two teams that are in some ways, yeah, in some ways mirror images and like Scus said, in some ways not mirror images. But um, these are two teams dealing with resistance to change and a lot of problems. And one of them is going to take a win out of this weekend. Uh, we're a couple weeks away from the start of men's and women's hoops. Um, just something to kind of keep in the back of our minds. I'll just say off that, I was reading like Inside NU's uh, preview on, I think, Jillian Brown and just remembering, oh man, she's awesome. And just can't, just can't be like, I can't wait to see her out on the court again. So just one random thing. For sure. Well, uh, let's go ahead and leave it there for tonight. Uh, head to our website, westlawpirates.com, where you can leave comments and questions. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Westlaw Pirates, and email the show, westlawpirates at gmail.com. Tune in next time as we give our visceral and statistical views on Northwestern athletics and look for us in the west side of Ryan Field flying the red pirate flag because we give no quarter, especially the fourth. For John Lacombe and Eric Skousby, I'm Sam Walter. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time.